adversity is essentially a certainty in life. And until it comes along, you know, we have all these virtues and, and they're theoretical. But it's only when we actually have to act courageously or honorably that we get to prove that we have those virtues. If we're really defining success, it has to be this approach. It has to be this journey that we're on. It has to be this process of growth. Podcast, the podcast for post-startup entrepreneurs who are seeking to break out of the drone, the same old tired ideas, and dive into some truly creative thinking about their business. I'm Rick Thomas, and along with me for the ride is Nick Fisher. Good morning, Nick. Good morning. So today we're going to talk about success, and in particular, the role of failure in success. And the reason I bring this up, what is celebrated is not the adversity or the failures or the big mistakes that companies make, it's about the financial return. And while the financial return is an indication of success, it is such a gross misrepresentation of what the reality may be. Right, because it misses out on the entire approach or path it took to achieve those results. And frankly, the, the, the learning that the company may be going through in getting poor financial results is sowing the seeds to future success. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about a big example in retailing, Walmart and Sears. Now clearly the, the fortunes of those two organizations over the last 20 to 30 years have gone a dramatically different direction. Sears, it, it's, it's fascinating. When I, I grew up in, in Seattle, and I, to this day, I remember my mom taking me down to, sh to go shopping for the, the New Year's clothes and everything down on the big Sears store on First Avenue yes. in yeah. Seattle. And it was huge. Yeah. And I would roam up and down the aisles. And remember the catalog that was like an encyclopedia yeah. book, you and know? This You'd monster, leaf through it. Yeah. This monster catalog. And you could buy virtually everything in it. And of course, out here on the West Coast, I, we'd never heard of Walmart when I was a kid. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We look at the fortunes of those two businesses now, and it's dramatically different. And when I think about the decision that either organization made, clearly decisions in Walmart, for example, they have done some things that have putting everything on the line, as opposed to Sears continually playing defense. Right. Trying to protect what they have and in that effort losing it. Exactly. It's, it's been a mediocre enterprise mm -hmm. for years. Talk about that from your perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's very interesting. Uh, there's a, a book that I refer to called The Intelligent Fanatics. And it's, you know, about the, the operational fanaticism of great leaders. And those leaders constantly challenge the status quo. And it's a cultural thing where they're, they just want this operational excellence. And, you know, obviously this requires to, to success, which inherent in that 
is you know constant iteration and and failure. So I'm curious about is what led to either condition from a decision-making point of view? What was happening or what wasn't happening? To the organizations that, that I work with, not even close to that size. Sure, sure. <laughs> Smaller organizations, owner-operator. But nonetheless, I think that the culture of decision-making can be very similar in small organizations and large. Mm -hmm. And I certainly what I recognize in smaller organizations is that for a company that is, has achieved some level of success, that the attraction of continuing to do the same thing and it, within the excuse of keeping it within kind of their circle of competence mm -hmm. and mistaking that for rigor and decision making. Right. And, that there's too much temptation to continue to do the same thing. And that risk of, of the unknown, risk of doing something different that may not end well, but is so necessary for a company to experience long-term success. Absolutely, and we're talking about two retailers and you know, two, probably the, one of the most competitive industries out there where strategy is constantly changing unless you're evolving unless you're innovating then you fall behind it, 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 and especially now more than ever with the uh, the digital marketplace mm -hmm. exactly. that has changed the landscape dramatically and and there isn't a week that doesn't go by that I don't hear about some mall that's shutting down mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that brick and mortar stores are just getting hammered so it's not just about retailing, though. This, this applies in virtually every business model. Now, one could argue in tech, it hasn't seen enough maturity yet to get out of that Wild West phase and, and to be you know, being very bold in, in the business model. But there's probably examples of that. Mm -hmm. Sure. But what's, what fascinates me is, and what I'm drawn to is is a relationship of willing to risk failure and how that's so important to ensure success. Yeah. And it's a paradox. Mm -hmm. And it works in reverse. That the more risk averse we are in our business models, and especially from a leadership point of view, if we're not willing to put either key teams, leadership teams, executive teams, or key advisors in place to challenge us and to challenge the business, the decision making, um, then we are ensuring mediocrity. Absolutely. One of my favorite uh, businessmen to, to follow and, and read about is Charlie Munger, the, uh, the, the you know, Warren Buffett sidekick at, at Berkshire Hathaway. And he always talks about inverting. You know, so if we, if we think about success, you know, as a, as a goal, well, you know, how do we think about it if we were to say, well, what if we inverted that and say, what would it take to not be successful? And I think what you, what we're getting at, you know, and what you what you've just mentioned is, you know, to be mediocrity, to not risk, to 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 never step out of the comfort zone, if you will, as a leader. Uh, you know, that's the way to to uh, achieve mediocrity or or to not be successful. Right. So, 
So what does a business do? What does a business owner do? I think first and foremost, there has to be a framework of values uh, around the business to guide those decisions. Mm -hmm. Because without that ethical foundation, ethical and value-based foundation, it could seriously risk going off the rails in terms of uh, the culture or how it treats the, the clients or the people or whatever. And, and so that needs to be in place. And perhaps oversimplified, but try this one on. If the business hasn't failed yet, then double the mistake rate. Now that's, that's a challenging me in, you know, especially in the early years when I'm trying to build the base and build the success of the business, I'm protecting everything. And yet that, he recognized that's sowing the seeds for potential future failure sure. or f future mediocrity. And, and so challenging my own decision-making about doubling the mistake rate. So really this, this idea of self-awareness is critical. Absolutely. And, and, and so that's the, the other foundational piece is, is whether it's at quality where they can easily do that for themselves or they put themselves in the company people that they're willing to open themselves up mm -hmm. to that questioning and reflection. It has to happen. So, so let's let's rewind uh, a, a moment. And when you were early starting your business, and and you mentioned this friend of yours, uh, you, you know, throwing some ideas out there in terms of challenging your business. Uh, ocean behind you know that that status or 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 you know holding on to things, not taking those risks, not making those mistakes. Well, it's it's interesting. The the mind is a very clever tool. And, and the mind can convince itself of all the reasons why not making that risky decision is the good idea. And so there can be this false sense of security. And, and yet there are being backups. Client <laughs> side <laughs> joke from a we had that used to talk about, you know, the, the, the backup batteries that were constantly bleeping in the background and, and she'd ignore them only until she couldn't ignore them anymore and they had to right. be dealt with. And I, and I think it's that, that kind of blinking signal that is at the outset easy to ignore and subdue, but eventually it, it, it's got to be dealt with. And paying attention to that it's, um, you know, back to your question. Remember, because we've talked about this before, first podcast, the first three years of the business was brutal. And I'm borrowing money on my house just to keep food on the table. Well, eventually it started working. You know, the phone started ringing. And building up income and a client base. And so I have a point where actually I, I think this is gonna work. My wife actually believes in it too. <laughs> and get this piece of advice of double your mistake rate. And there is this fear about, oh my God, I cannot risk what I have worked so hard to maintain. 
And there's this fear of doing anything to put that in peril. That is the emotion that I faced in doubling my mistake rate. And yet, while I didn't feel it, intellectually, I knew he was right. That I had to be doing something differently to challenge how I was growing the business. Otherwise, eventually, what was working for me would stop working. idea of embracing uh, adversity. It brings me back. I was doing an annual report of, a, of an investor who I really admire. His name is Guy Spear. And, and he talks about you know, his investing principles. And by the way, I think there's so much that we can learn from, from publicly traded companies and investors and things like that as private business owners. But, but one of his, his main principles is embracing adversity. And, you know, he talked about adversity's essentially a certainty in life. And until it comes along, you know, we have all these virtues and, and they're theoretical. But it's only when we actually have to act courageously or honorably that we get to prove that we have those virtues in reality. Defining success, it has to be this approach. It has to be this journey that we're on. It has to be this process of growth. Right. Now, that, that's a very eloquent way to put it, in acting honorably and courageously. Yeah. But what it, I mean, for me, what it comes down to it is I got to be willing to do something because something is better than doing nothing. It's the old adage, if I'm going to sin, I'd rather sin by commission than by omission. Sure, sure. And... I think the business responds to decision-making, even if it's the wrong decision. It, it, and, in, in, and, you know, if there's good leadership at the helm, leadership will respond to a bad decision. Sure. And, and, and course correct and pivot and ultimately do the right thing. Yeah. Now, I've often heard that it's nice to have you know, friends around you or people that are uh, you're, you associate with, it makes that process easier to go with. What do you say to that? Well, absolutely. I, I would challenge friends. Okay, okay. Because I think the biggest mistake that entrepreneurs, business owners, leaders can make is to get into an echo chamber. And so, so when a, a, a popular... Um, methodology that right, right now are CEO groups, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's, you know, through various organizations and the mistake, and, and I think there's a lot of goodness that can come out of that, uh, the potential for really good rigor and reflection uh, with other business owners that hold you accountable. What I've also seen at times is it becomes very, very collegial. And it becomes just a self-congratulatory group and, and unwilling and people that have known each other for so long that there's so much comfort level that there isn't that, that edge and rigor sure. to it. Unwilling to challenge each other Unwilling you don't to want challenge. to offend your friend. You want to offend your friend, exactly. So I think, you know, whether it's in a, in a, in a formalized CEO group or just a, a, a mind share group or a mastermind group of like-minded individuals, it's, it really has to be chosen well. It's people that are willing to call BS on what you're doing.
What about role models? I, I, I bring that up because Charlie Munger, I always bring up Charles Munger, of course, uh, talks, talked about Ben, ben Franklin. And, and how Ben Franklin was a role model. He studied him in his life, and, and, and you know how would Ben Franklin react in this situation? Certainly, I I, I think that's helpful. It, to me, it, that seems like an academic exercise, as opposed to having a mentor, where a mentor is like it's a one-on-one -on -one relationship, and somebody that's willing to make observations. Well, first of all, a mentor is somebody that has way more scar tissue than you do. Sure. They've, they've got, they've had the experiences and, uh, and you, somebody that you can draw on, uh, uh, from those experiences and, and is willing to kind of call you out mm -hmm. and hold you accountable to what you say is important to you. That, that type of mentoring relationship, I think, for me, is is more valuable than a role model. Although, again, I think role models can be very important to draw, you know, kind of allegories and 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 you know, illustrations of what success could be could look like. Sure. To say, continuingly intrigued by the role of failure and success, and the paradox that it sets up in trying to get there. And, and the only road to true failure is mediocrity. And mediocrity happens when we're not willing to risk failure mm -hmm. to get to success. So I, I think we'll, we'll leave it at that. Sounds good. And for our next podcast episode, until then, be well and consider this. If you're trying to achieve something truly remarkable in your business, then what got you here won't get you there. It takes a revolution. An idea revolution.